It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Isn't life stressful enough? Who would want to work in the field of stress? I had to work all the way through university. My dad was a barber. One of the jobs I had when I was doing, funny enough, my MBA was I was a social worker for the city of Los Angeles. And I saw deprivation like you'd never seen in the black community in Watts that I just felt I had to do something later. This is an invitation to meet Professor Sir Carrie Cooper, founding director of the workplace well-being specialist Robertson Cooper, and, to give him his full title, 50th anniversary professor of organisational psychology and health at Manchester University. Basically, he helps people and companies develop better workplaces. I thought I was going to be a tax lawyer, would you believe? It affected me the rest of my life. So I just couldn't go and do things like become a tax lawyer and earn lots of money not really help anybody. So this is a story about what drives people to make things better and why you should do it in your workplace too. So I, I, ju- I guess it must be that, that I have to do something that's valuable. And that's how I moved into what, what they call organizational psychology. I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard. Carrie is going to be appearing at our water cooler event talking about some of the things you'll hear in this podcast. It's being held at the Olympia London on May 25th and 26th and will feature more than 100 experts like Carrie talking about how to improve the health and mental health of employees across the UK and beyond. Tickets are free. Go to watercoolerevent.com to book a place and have a look at what else is going on. Looking after the mental health of staff is a relatively new priority for some companies. And when I met Carrie, I wanted to know if a man who now has a knighthood for his work was always taken seriously. No, it wasn't. In early days when I was working in it, a lot of organizations were looking at stress at work when we're looking at stress in the workplace. And a lot of the organizations were doing it to protect themselves because they were being litigated against by employees for stress at work, for creating it. And they were trying to protect themselves by doing um, employee assistant programs, which are counseling services, doing something on the edge, provide counseling or do something to protect themselves legally. Now they're doing it for the right reasons. They really are. Uh, HR uh, and occupational health have been fantastic over the last 15 years, 15, 20 years. Brilliant. Uh, And they really are. They really care. HR is no longer just about paying rations. It's about how do we get good work? 
good quality of working life. They really care about it. And the people who go into it care about it. And so do the occupational health physicians, nurses, and all of them. The, we're, we're in a good place. And we, we're one of the leaders in the world. We really are a leader. We're certainly one of the leaders in Europe. But over your career, how, how have things changed and have, have they changed for the better? When I started, and we started in, in roughly the 19, middle of the 1990s, the issue of stress at work was big. It was costing a lot of money to, to British business, both the SME sector, the big sector, public sector. It was a problem. So when I first started, I was doing research on stress management. I was looking at different occupations and looking at the stress levels in these occupations, anywhere from doctors, nurses, IT people, you know, the managers in the private sector, you name it. I did the big studies on this with thousands of people. And what was happening then is companies were interested, how do we manage the stress on people? But that was like, you know, how do we do stress management training? What do, what do we do to help the individual? Then that morphed as time went on. What ended up happening is we got into the recession. Let's talk 2008 now. 2008 was horrendous. Uh, lots of people lost their job, as we know, during the financial crisis. As a consequence of that, all the HR people and chief medical officers and people interested in people in the workplace began to say things like, we are so mean and lean. We've cut 20, 30, 40% of our staff. The burden is on everybody else. How do we retain the people we've got? Uh, as one HR director told me of a bank, he said, Kara, I said, you guys have never done anything in the well-being thing. Not really. So why are you all of a sudden doing it? And he used two words. He said, regrettable turnover. We are so mean and lean as a result of the recession. We can't afford to lose any of our people. They're all absolutely essential. So all of a sudden, talent retention, even for the SME sector, became really important for everybody during the recession. How do we retain people? How do we attract good people? And the only way we're going to do that is create the right kind of culture. People get up in the morning, want to go to work, and we have to change our culture. We can't treat people as disposable assets like we used to. So that's where the concept of how do we create the right kind of culture, no matter how big your organization is, whether it's public, private sector, or third sector. And, and since then, really big time now, uh, many companies have middle size and big and public sector now have directors of health and well-being who report either to the whoever the managing director, chief executive it is, or to an HR director if it's the bigger organizations. And that's become big. And it's now more strategic. It, it is not like uh, you know, bean bags and ping pong tables and mindfulness at lunch. I don't mind a ping pong table, Carrie. <laughs> to be honest with you, I quite enjoy mindfulness and I quite like sushi at my desk. But to be honest with you, that's not what it's about, actually. And, and what it's about now is getting employee voice, no matter how big the organization is. What do employees think about their work environment? What do they think about how they're managed, the hours they work, the number of days they work? Do they get flexible working or not? Now they do get flexible working, incidentally, because that's what the pandemic has created, the hybrid workforce. So a good news of the pandemic is it had accelerated a trend that employees wanted a decade before which is to work more flexibly, not 100% remotely like they did. They hated that. And they hated homeschooling. 
as we all did. As a, as a grandparent, I was doing homeschooling with one of my grandkids who was a disaster area. The point is, is that it accelerated that trend. And the other trend it accelerated is, do we have the right kind of line managers from shop floor to top floor? Do we have people who have good EQ, emotional intelligence? Because in this world that we're going into now, some people working from home, some people working from a central office, the stress on everybody is heavy given Brexit, given everything that's going on, the economy where it's going as a result of the pandemic, result of the war, the result of energy, all of that is leading to a sense of job insecurity and worries about their finances. So what do we do to help people? And we now need a different kind of manager, you know, because when we tend to promote David people, we tend to promote them or recruit them in a managerial role based on their technical skills, not their people skills. We can't do that anymore. We got to get people who have good social interpersonal skills. There's got to be parity between their technical and people skills. What's harder to change the culture of a massive multinational corporation with maybe thousands of people all over the world or within your own small company with just a handful of people where you maybe have to give up a little bit of the the control that you've always had? Yeah, I think, I mean, they have different issues. So take an SME, small, medium-sized enterprise, 20, 30 people there. Entrepreneur starts it. Entrepreneur continue, owner manager continues to manage it. The problems there are that frequently... One of the stress problems there is those kind of entrepreneurs don't want to let go. They've always worked long hours. It's their baby. And really, they have to let go and they have to delegate as they grow, right? The good news about SMEs is that they do value every employee, probably a lot more than the big boys do in the sense that everybody matters, right? Well, even now, though, even the big boys, there's not much fat. I mean, they're keeping their labor costs really down now. And you can see what's going on. There's a downsizing. It took place from the recession and it's still going on to make sure that you have your, your mean and lean and, and to be competitive, particularly internationally, particularly as a consequence of Brexit. So, so I, I think the, the, the problems are different. Big, the, the big boys have the HR departments. They have chief medical officers. And they are all into how do we create the right kind of culture? How do we allow people to work flexibly? How do we make sure our line managers uh, recognize their staff, value them, trust them, let them work flexibly when they can? They have all that infrastructure to enable that. But they also have intrinsic in it is because of the communication systems are bigger, more complex you still have a lot of job insecurity in the big companies because they, they look for IT to replace people. They look for AI and all the rest of that to keep the labor costs down. Small companies tend to be better at retaining staff and valuing them. But the, top, but the, the managers in those, the owner managers, really have to start letting go and for their own health and well-being. Well, yeah, that's a good point, actually, because you know, we talk a lot about the staff of companies and the importance of improving their well-being. But what about those bosses? They're under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. If you're running an SME, you're probably, at least in the first stages, every week worried it's going to shut down. That must It must be incredibly important, no matter how busy you are, 
to make sure you take time to unwind. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that That's a problem no matter what sector you're in, no matter whether it's private, SMEs, public sector. When you're responsible for other human beings, it is a big issue. The problem I still think goes back to the issue I just mentioned a few minutes ago, which is many of those people are technically get to their role because they're technically competent as marketing people or ops management people or finance people or God knows what, right? But they don't necessarily naturally have the people skills. And that is a big problem because if you don't have them, you create more problems yourself by not having them with the people that report to you and therefore it causes you stress. You know, if you talk to a lot of people who don't have these good people skills, they'll frequently say, what's your major problem? Oh, it's people. It's HR. It's people. Now they're my real problem. If I didn't have people here and had machines doing it, it'd be dead easy. That's a sign that, you know, that person doesn't quite understand. If you've had good people skills, then you'll also know when you're not coping. <laughs> you'll know the signs yourself because you're much more socially sensitive. You have good empathy. You have good uh, EQ. And therefore, that's the strategy that a lot of people are moving. I run something called the chair of something called the National Forum for the Health and Well-Being at Work, made up of 40 global employers, you know, Microsoft, BT, BP, it goes on and on, including the NHS executive and uh, the UK government civil service, etc. Big, big employers. And these are made up of HR directors and chief medical officers. These are very senior people. We have no funding. We get on. We have somebody who helps out a day a week, a PhD student who we pay some money to do work for us. We've been doing it for four years. They say one of the most important things that we have to do in the future for increasing well-being and, by the way, UK productivity. That's what we're really interested in. Bottom line, you do the health bit, you get the productivity bit. And this group, National Forum for Health and Well-Being at Work, say the line manager from shop floor all the way up to the top is the critical change we need to introduce. We need a different kind of line. We have to promote people and recruit them based on parity between their technical skills and their people skills for this generation that we're going into. So they say that's important. A lot of other things are important too, uh, like uh, techno stress. I mean, what's happening is people are getting overloaded by emails and things like that. So we're have to consider issues like the right to disconnect that they have in France, they have in Portugal, they have in New Zealand, they have in many countries now are adopting that, that managers shouldn't be sending emails out of office hours to their subordinates or minimizing it, at least. Is that a big problem here in the UK, though, Carrie? Are we finding that, that people nine o'clock at night uh, are checking their emails and, and, and do they have the right to ignore them? Well, guess what? It is a huge problem, really big. A lot of the studies done in the UK, uh, we keep kicking ourselves, you know, that we're not really a, a very efficient economy. Yet from an IT point of view, we're one of the best in the world, really, in, in many ways better than the United States as well. I'll go into an audience. I did that recently to an audience of uh, about 150 managers. I said, okay, how many of you do your emails every night? almost every night. And 80% of the hands went up. I said, how many of you do it at the weekend? 70% went up. How many of you do it when you go on holiday? 60, 70%. That's not, that's not healthy. 
And I think we need to have guidance on controlling that because that's, David, that's a big, that's a big problem. It's interfering with family life. And here's a typical manager will do. A typical manager will, on a Friday night, want to get clear his or her uh, inbox. So sends emails on a Friday night saying to their to his, his or her direct reports, no, you don't have to do it till Monday morning, but you're the recipient of that. That's your boss telling you that. What do you do? You worry about it all weekend if it's an important one and you do it. We can't have that behavior. To have flexible working, we will need not to have the right to disconnect to the extent that it says you can't do it, send an email beyond five o'clock. We have to have flexibility, but we need managers not to send people emails out of office hours unless it's absolutely important and not CC in everybody in the world to protect your backside. That goes on all the bloody time. We just have to look at it strategically, the whole well-being thing, how people are managed, the hours they work, flexibility, even the four-day working week. Let's take a break. Afterwards, we're going to be talking more about the four-day week and how companies can develop effective strategies to help their employees. If you think other people could benefit from this podcast, give us a rating and review and your podcast provider will take that as a signal that it's a show worth hearing and suggest it to listeners like you. Do it over the ads and I'll see you again in a minute. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, before the break there, Carrie, we touched on a four-day working week. But what I want to know is, can we do a four-day week and keep up productivity? If we give up a day, isn't that going to make productivity worse? Well, you know what the economists have told me? This is interesting. I'm I'm that old. I I was here in the country uh, when we had, um, you know, all those... uh, You're too young, David, to remember this, but in the 1970s, when we had the coal strikes and we had the electricity workers striking, we had three-day weeks in the sense that electricity was provided to employers only three days a week. I haven't seen this data myself, but they tell me the productivity per capita was higher during then than it was post that. Why? If you had electricity given to you for three days a week only to get your get your product out or whatever, get your workers to work, you just work nonstop, right? You used every minute. It was no water cooler effect in the sense of walking around having a cup of coffee, talking to your colleagues, which we need, by the way, I think that that is quite important to do that. But when you have, when you have a problem like the, like the, the, the doctors and the nurses during the pandemic, you know, you were flat on, there was no space for anything else to get that job done. You're only provided with electricity for three days a week. So I don't know if you have a four day working week, and you have jobs you have to get done in that four-day working week because you're going to get paid roughly what you got paid for the five-day week. That's the way they're working in other countries that are doing this. You know, you'll get it done. 
But does that, though, suggest that you're cramming a lot of stuff into four days? And that wouldn't that be quite stressful? Or do or are these countries finding that people, you know, that extra day off it, it, it mitigates that? Yeah, I think that's what they're finding. I mean, the the the, the studies done in in, uh, in Iceland, and particularly the one they did in Gothenburg, they were with uh, public sector workers. They were uh, people working for the local authority. Half of them they put on a 30-hour week. The other half they put on a 40-hour week. They did this for two years, by the way. Paid them all equal. And guess who the most productive was? The 30-hour week. More, more productive, less ill health, etc. I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating necessarily a four-day working week. What I'm worried about is how do we look after those workers who have to be at the co-face and can't work flexibly? If I can work flexibly, which I can do in my particular job, and you probably can too, then I can get my job done partly from home, partly from a central office. And that's what I, you know, I will do. You know, I don't necessarily need four days because probably I can get all my work done and I fit it in when I need to fit it in, sometimes in a central office, sometimes at home. Let's say a company wants to improve the well-being of its staff. What's the first thing? What's the one thing they should do to start with? Okay, no matter what size you are, from an SME to a big company to a public sector body, find out what the employees think about your organization. They're well-being audits. Lots of organizations now do them. In other words, you do anonymously ask your employees what they think about all aspects of their job. What do you think about the way you're managed? What do you think about the communication system in your organization? What do you think? Can you work flexibly or not work flexibly? These are very sophisticated psychometrics that organizations now use. And then you break all the data down and you find out in that part of the business, the problem is that women feel that their careers are blocked. There's a glass ceiling. In that part of the business, a long hours culture. In that part, there's a bullying management style, right? In other words, it's like going to your GP. You go to your GP. As you're walking toward your GP um, and your GP starts to write a prescription out without doing a diagnosis, it's not very sensible. You want to sit down. You want to take your blood pressure, take some bloods, do whatever to find out what's wrong with you. Same thing applies to well-being. You need him the employees to tell you what the issue is. And we have the sophisticated techniques of doing this and we can identify what's wrong, where, and then develop a strategy to deal with that problem. So the first thing is employee voice. Second thing is once you find out using proper techniques, psychometrics, easy to do, by the way, anybody who's in HR, uh, occupational health, they can do this dead easy. Small, medium-sized businesses can do this too. It's not complicated stuff. And then you start building a strategy and you say, well, look at, we got a problem with women here. They feel their careers are blocked. We have another problem is that we're not allowing people to work as flexibly as they would like. Uh, there's a famous investment bank, as you heard, recently heard, who said, nobody can work flexibly here. You have to come into the office all the time. Well, that would not work in 99% of organizations now where flexibility is needed. I mean, you know, we're in a different era now. People have wanted this even before the pandemic, for a decade before people have wanted flexible working. So that could be an issue. So what's our, what, our, what is our strategy on that? How are we going to deal with this strategically as an issue? And so this is becoming a much more strategic issue 
by senior leadership teams in medium to large organizations are doing that now. If they're smart, they're doing that now. Otherwise, they will lose the next generation because the Z generation and the young millennials are not prepared to tolerate what their parents tolerated for the, for the sake of their mortgages. They will leave. Remember what that generation's called? The snowflakes. They're called the snowflakes because they say, they'll come back to me. You know, An MBA student will come back to me and say, Kara, I say, are you still working for X? Oh, no, I'm not working for X. You know why? I would crap organization to work for. They don't care about me. They don't value me. They require me to be in all the time. They require this, that, and the other, which is, that's fine. I don't mind working hard, but it's not fun here. There's nothing nice about this place. They don't recognize me when I do a good job. They overload me and don't recognize I'm not coping. So I just went to that one. They're unlike their parents who would say, oh, well, I got a mortgage to pay. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stay here. They're not doing it. You want to retain and attract the new generation, the Zed and young millennials. You'll never do it unless you have the right culture. That was an invitation to meet Professor Sir Carrie Cooper. If you'd like to hear more from him, then head over to thewatercooler.event.com and get those free tickets. We'll be back next Monday morning. I really hope you can join us again. Hit your follow or subscribe button and drop in whenever's best for you. This has been an invitation to meet. It's always a pleasure to meet you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.